The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning, everybody. Happy March to us all. Spring just a couple weeks away, although as all of us know in the Bay Area, spring is already breaking through the ground around us here. Welcome everyone to worship this morning. Wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, body or spirit, it's lovely to have you with us. I am Vanessa Southern. I'm the senior minister of the First Unitarian Universalist Congregation in San Francisco. It's lovely to be with you this morning. I want to thank everybody who is making this morning possible. To Reiko Odelaine, who welcomed us with organ music this morning. Later on, you'll hear from Mark Sumner, our conductor and music director, with his singers this morning. Leandra Ram, Ben Rudiak Gould, Asher Davidson, and while Brielle is away, we are really lucky to have Michelle Kennedy back with us this morning, so welcome to her. Thanks to Jonathan Silk, our Director of Communications, who is the mastermind of our order of service, but also, more importantly right now, our AV, our sound. To our camera people to Eric Shackelford and Shuli Ong, who are bringing you some of the visuals this morning, so to bring you into this space. To those who are with me in the chancel this morning, to Meg McGuire, our ministerial intern, and to Gail Reynolds and Keith Holland, the co-chairs of our annual giving campaign on this Sunday when we kick off officially that fundraising effort to make our next year of life together possible. It's lovely to have them with us. I want to also thank Joe Chapeau, who is on the chat right now. So if you're joining us and you have a question or a need, please just put a note in the chat to Joe, or you can call the main number of the church and catch him that way if that's more helpful to you. To Thomas Brown, who is around making sure that the building is safe and warm and was open for us and welcoming this morning. And to Judy Payne, who brought spring into the sanctuary with tulips, which would make my Dutch mother, very happy if she's watching, which I hope she is. We invite you to join us for our coffee hour afterwards, our Zoom coffee hour, and thanks to Les James, who will be hosting that. If you are with us for the first time, please find a way, if you can, to access the order of service for the morning. It looks like this this morning, and it will guide you through the service. And so, and so we gather for another Sunday, and as you will notice, we have each week lit a blue candle since, since we were apart because of the pandemic. And this week, as we enter into what we hope is the last stretch of this time apart, we will light a new candle. And when we do so, we bring all of you who are not with us in body into this space as we gather in worship, and we hope that you will be with us again here, all of us together again soon. So with that, let's join in singing our opening hymn of the morning. It is number 288, all our architects, the words and the music are in your order of service. So let's sing it together.
invite you to join me in speaking aloud together our unison chalice lighting. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light the symbol of our faith as we gather together. Thank you, Keith. As Vanessa mentioned, if you have not already, I invite you to download your order of service, which is not only a roadmap for worship this morning, but also an opportunity to get a sense of the many offerings in this community. And I want to draw your attention to a couple in particular. Today, after worship, the forum is hosting Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz, the acclaimed author of An Indigenous, Indigenous People's History of the United States, and the new book, Not a Nation of, of Immigrants, Settler Colonialism, White Supremacy, and a History of Erasure and Exclusion. The forum will begin at 1 p.m. today, and it's a program not to miss. You can find Zoom information in your order of service. This month, the Minister's Book Club will be reading Minor Feelings, an Asian American Reckoning by Kathy Park Hong. The March Book Club will be co-led this month by Reverend Vanessa and Lori Lai, and will meet on March 24th and 25th. So you've still got plenty of time to grab a copy and get reading. Also in your order of service, you can click through the virtual exhibit of the Children's Multicultural Museum, Art at Our Feet, which features children's sidewalk art during this past year's shelter in place. Uh, it's curated by Andre Glossy, a friend of this community. So I hope you'll check that out. And lastly, as Vanessa mentioned, you can consider joining after the service our virtual coffee hour. You can join a breakout room to connect with other members or friends of this community, join a small group to talk about the, or the sermon, excuse me, led by Donald Matusen. And there will also be another special breakout room hosted this morning by Judith Stoddard, Jayanti Chapeau, and Cal Ball to discuss the proposed eighth principle that we learned about last week and our process moving toward a vote here at UUSF. I'll turn it over now to Gail Reynolds and Keith Holland for a special announcement about the annual operating fund. Good morning, everyone. We are Gail Reynolds. And Keith Holland. We are here today as the co-chairs of the annual operating fund drive to talk to you about the campaign, which officially launches today. Every annual campaign is an important one. But this year seems even more significant because of the challenges resulting from the pandemic. We agreed to co-chair this year for a number of reasons, not the least of which is the special place UUSF holds in our hearts. We met at the church, and this year we will celebrate 31 years since our first date at the church softball team beach party. We also agreed to co-chair because we believe in this institution. Even during years when other demands meant that we didn't always make it to church on a regular basis, we pledged our support every year. The values that UUSF carries from one generation to the next are so necessary in this world. And we make sure that happens when all of us pledge our support. This past year has brought extraordinary challenges to everyone. 
at UUSF, those challenges have been met with extraordinary responses. The Sunday services, which we enjoy each week, involve many people with real commitment to supporting all of us. Thanks to a great, te thanks to a great team of people, we continue to benefit from religious education programming for children and adults. We are being educated about the importance of the proposed eighth principle. The humanities and non-theists have continued, and the forum, have continued to present meaningful and thought-provoking programs. Our values are manifest on Wednesday mornings during the demonstrations out on the steps of our church. Streamed church services have met visitors from near and far. We have welcomed new members to the community. We could go on and on but it's clear that life in our UUSF community have not been locked down during this past year. By everyone pledging their support, we can make sure that this is true for the next year also. The shelter-in-place orders have affected the budget at UUSF. Without the ability to rent our spaces to outside groups, we have lost a steady revenue stream. This year, we were rescued by a federal PPP grant Next year, it will be up to us to fill that income gap. So we are taking the bold position of asking all members and friends of the church to double their pledge of support for a single fiscal year. We know this is a big ask and we don't make it lightly. We know doubling the pledge will not be possible for everyone, but we believe that everyone that would if they could, and we know those who can will. And we are happy to report that because of a number of people have already doubled their pledges, we are almost halfway to, the, to our goal. Yay. Since we cannot hand out I pledge buttons for you to wear during coffee hour, we are asking everyone to participate in the UUSF virtual donor wall. You'll understand more about this shortly. After you make your pledge, please send your digital photo to the church office at aof.uusf.org, AOF sorry. And be sure to make your pledge before March 14th to be included in the drawing for a three-night stay at Marty Vanderland's Tahoe Cabin. And thank you, Marty, for once again supporting the annual campaign in this way. And for your convenience, right now there is a pledge button in your order of service. Please remember, these extraordinary times call for extraordinary responses. Thank you. And now for the virtual donor wall. Thank you so much, Gil and Keith. 
I want to invite you all now to settle into your seats and deepen in a bit more to worship as we sing together our meditation on breathing. The words are simple and are printed in your order of service. You can listen to our song leaders and join in as you feel called to or just let the words wash over you. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in saying the promises that we make to one another by saying the words of our covenant and then we'll sing together our doxology. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to speak the truth in freedom and to help one another. Recognizing that there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes. 
We ring our gong this morning in honor of three such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first as we have each Sunday since July of 2019 for those lives held and those lives lost in federal custody in our detention camps. For the over 500 children now permanently separated from their families, for all people held without charges in less than transparent or humane circumstances, in this repeat of some of the most shameful chapters in our nation and our world's history of xenophobia, racism, and greed. We ring our gong seven times for this week of seven days in which these deeds have been done in our name. We ring our gong additionally once for the losses this week to COVID-19. This last week, 68,061 people died of COVID-19 globally. 12,699 of those in the United States alone. We hold in our hearts all of those losses and all who continue to risk their lives to provide the essential services that we collectively rely on. Those who suffer from loss of job or economic instability, those who are especially vulnerable to the disease. And we name with gratitude all who are working hard to get the vaccine produced and distributed and administered around the world. Finally, we ring our gong this morning for the protesters in Myanmar, who after more than a month of sustained civil disobedience have been met with an alarming escalation of force. This past week, 38 pro-democracy protesters were killed with the total death count of protesters now totaling over 50. May we keep those we have named and their loved ones in our thoughts and in our prayers. And may we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can.
generations through us, lives who looked for as much wisdom as they could find or make of a life, lived with as much love and courage as they could, handed off, they hoped, the best of what they knew and treasured, found in their bundle of years to those who followed.
We are all born babes with hands so small and soft, such little hands to be handed such magnificent burdens. The dreams, the work, the castles half built by those who came before, as fortresses and galleries they hoped to house and showcase all the treasures and the truths that they gave their lives to serve and find with grace and courage. And our unsuspecting, reflexive little baby hands closed around these things the moment we were born. To be held there until the days when loosened by time or exhaustion or illness or age, we dropped them into the tender embrace of another life just born. In this great relay race of life. So this morning, I ask us to reflect present to the spirit of life that lives in and through us on what we think is in our hands, particularly ours. What do we feel we have been handed to tend to and to protect, to strengthen and to carry forward that we're passionate and adoring of, cognizant and aware of the precious sacrality of something that is ours? Inviting us into silence, I invite us into listening and reflection. spirit of life, may the sacred calling of time that runs through us and the obligations it confers be with us. Help us to clarify our place in this long handoff 
of treasure and truth, of role and purpose. Strengthen our commitment to what was given into our care and may the world conspire to aid us in the work. In the work of carrying forward the pieces of legacy dropped long ago into our small, soft hands. Amen. This morning is from Walking with the Wind, a memoir of the movement by John Lewis and Michael D'Orso. In this passage, which explains the title of the book, Lewis describes a time in his childhood, a memory of when a storm hit, or by the sound of the story, perhaps a tornado, but certainly a fierce storm. He writes, Lightning terrified me, and so did thunder. But my mother wasn't with us that particular afternoon. Aunt Seneva was the only adult around. And as the sky blackened and the wind grew stronger, she herded us all inside. Her house was not the biggest place around, and it seemed even smaller with so many children squeezed inside, small and surprisingly quiet. All of the shouting and laughter that had been going on earlier outside had stopped. The wind was howling now, and the house was starting to shake. We were scared. Even Aunt Seneva was scared. And then it got worse. Now the house was beginning to sway. 
the wood plank flooring beneath us began to bend. And then a corner of the room started lifting up. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. None of us could. This storm was actually pulling the house up toward the sky with us inside it. That was when Aunt Seneva told us to clasp hands. Line up and hold hands, she said, and we did as we were told. Then she had us walk as a group toward the corner of the room that was rising. From the kitchen to the front of the house, we walked the wind screaming outside, sheets of rain beating on the tin roof. Then we walked back in the other direction as another end of the house began to lift. And so it went back and forth, 15 children walking with the wind holding that trembling house down with the weight of our small bodies. More than half a century has passed since that day and it has struck me more than once over those many years that our society is not unlike the children in that house, rocked again and again by the winds of one storm or another the walls around us seeming at times as if they might fly apart. But the people of conscience never left the house. They never ran away. They stayed. They came together and they did the best they could, clasping hands and moving together toward the corner of the house that was the weakest. And then another corner of the house would lift and we would go there. And eventually, inevitably, the storm would settle and the house would still stand. But we knew another storm would come and we would have to do it all over again. And we did. And we still do, all of us, you and I. Here ends our reading. So a little introduction about the song you're about to hear. It's a song I've had in my head for most of this year. It's actually my ringtone. So if you call me, this song, a little bit of it plays. Alicia Keys wrote it, inspired by the death of Aaliyah, a friend and a gifted performer widely known as the princess of R&B or the queen of, of R&B, who died tragically in a plane crash in August of 2011 to be followed in just a couple short weeks by the events of 9-11 and all the loss of that tragedy. In other words, it was a song of larger love, a larger love song, and so, so appropriate to sing in church and to hold on to this whole year. 
So I wanna thank Mark and I wanna thank the choir and the soloists and the staff members, everybody you will see who made this video possible, which by the faces in it and the voices, I think speaks to what we love and what we miss most these days, at least a piece of it.
Thank you for indulging me. I don't want to jinx things, but I think many of us are starting to feel like maybe, maybe if viral life doesn't mutate in radically scary ways, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Thanks to Judy Payne and Keith Holland and the Hinckley Fund and others, Dan Bernard here on the scene, we're starting work this month on some courtyard renovations, replacing some plantings that died in the shutdown a year ago, fixing the fountain and some other things to make that space safe and ready, a gorgeous place for us to begin to gather, because we need to gather. Because, as that ballad rightly named, some people want diamond rings and some just want everything, but everything means nothing without you. That's one thing that's been made super clear this last year, hasn't it? How much we need one another. We've done pretty well. Gail and Keith named a lot of the things to celebrate. The ability of our musicians and Jonathan Silk and his professional tech team of volunteers, Eric Shackelford and Shuli Ong, who pivoted to try and make worship as full and as familiar and as nurturing as possible. Our four recording studios that are now set up with two remote cameras to bring you music, plus our balcony Reiko cam that captures Reiko. Reiko, who by the way, now rocks our Instagram ratings. I mean, who knew that organ music would rock our Instagram ratings? It's been a year of surprises. And there's all of you whose motivation to stay connected has overcome those of you who had some resistance to live stream or helped us all overcome the challenging, sometimes frustrating learning curve of navigating Zoom. None of our new ways of connecting are as satisfying as being in a room with human beings. And I never want to look at myself on screen again when this is over but it's all better than a year of isolation. We've continued to read books together, to engage speakers, even like the amazing speaker we have ahead this morning who will inform and challenge us. We've found safe ways to volunteer at the food bank and to witness on the steps and in rallies around the city. We've actually gotten, I think, more deeply engaged with our wholeness and racial justice work over this year. The choirs have rehearsed in new ways, and as you saw, even found their ability to make music videos. So we may have some Grammy applications ahead of us. We've even run auctions better in some ways than in past years. It hasn't all been perfect. I mean, there's been awkwardness at each new way of being, each new habit that's learned, each old, familiar, beloved ritual and tradition that we've either had to reimagine or delay. But we've done it. We're doing it. 
And we're not at our knees, on our knees at this juncture. We are solidly on our feet and connected and, as I said, deepened even in some ways. There are roughly 250 households who were part of this congregation when we started, but there are 600 subscribers to our YouTube channel. I am grateful for and proud of all that that means and may mean going forward. I am grateful for every one of you who has found a way to connect to community. And for some reason, whenever I'm part of a tough chapter in the life of an institution or as part of a nation, as has also been true this year, one side effect is it always somehow wakes me up to remembering the others before me who must have walked the same institution or nation through similar hard times and a sense of gratitude and curiosity about that. I don't know how many of you know that John Burens is working on a history of this church, God bless him, a deep dive into the archives and books and making calls to people who still hold some of the stories that we don't want to lose. I don't actually know of anyone who has been more independently productive during COVID-19 than John, except maybe a mother somewhere who is carrying triplets. And as part of what that book will show us, will be all of these chapters that we've inherited, unknowingly many of them. I can't wait to have a reading group for that book to tell us what we have here, what, we, what we've had dropped into our soft, sweet palms. But in preparation for today, I went back and called Margot Campbell Gross, our minister emerita, and I asked her to retell me just one story that she'd once told me about a chapter of ministry, one of the big lifts that a generation of leaders, some still among us, had done, that we inherited. And I want to share it for those of you who weren't around, and also just as a celebration for those of you who were, to tie into what's most on my mind this morning. So go back with me. It's 1995, and called to this church in a joint ministry, that is two ministers who decided to try to lead together as co-equals and apply as co-ministers to this church, John Marsh and Margot Campbell Gross were in fact chosen and voted in. Margot, I didn't realize, had actually served this church before, just after her internship at the tail end of her training for ministry. It was the year then when she served that the associate minister then, Joan Hull, was going on sabbatical and Margot moved back to San Francisco and she dropped into Victor Carpenter's office just to say hello and tell him she was around and Victor saw this opportunity that he would need help for the next nine months and Margot was available. And so for the 1988-1989 church year, Margot would be the interim assistant minister at UUSF. She would leave, she would leave that position just a few months before the Loma Prieta earthquake hit the Bay Area, and so she just missed that drama here. Or maybe not. 
Because the year Margot and John started their ministry here, 1995, began with, as it always did, the board's annual off-site retreat. And at that retreat, Ed Flesch, the moderator that year, had some news. The earthquake, it turned out, had done some damage, but also the city's rules about building standards had changed. And so the city had given this church, and others I'm sure, three years to make some necessary changes. And if we didn't, our status as a space open to the public would be shut down. In other words, if we didn't, the church, in essence, would be shut down. Initial estimates were that the retrofitting would cost about half a million dollars in repairs or about $860,000 in current dollars. And an emergency capital campaign had to begin toot sweet. Well, John and Margot were understandably thrown back on their heels. They didn't even know the congregation yet as its ministers. They hadn't even unpacked their proverbial boxes and then they were going to lead a significant fundraiser, something you normally want some goodwill and relationships when you step into. So they conferred and they got back to the board and they asked for one year, one year to get to know the congregation. The board was willing to wait one year to prepare, but understandably only that long. And in that year, in addition to getting to know the people here, more of them and beginning their ministry here. The church hired a capital campaign consultant, Phil Duker, who was helping them in their discernment and the questions that they asked. And as part of that process, Margot was reminded of one unforgettable morning during her previous stint as interim assistant minister. That Sunday morning, she remembers, as the service was ending, people started coming up from the pews uninvited and unannounced, and they started laying red tape across the chancel and around the pulpit. And when they left the church, Margot and John got out of the sanctuary. Red tape, they noticed, had marked off the offices and the garage and the chapel and the main doors in and out of the church, too. These were, it turns out, all the places that the church wasn't accessible. Members who were in wheelchairs at the time could only enter the church through the kitchen door. Like second-class citizens and concerned congregants wanted to make a point, and so they organized this act of internal witness and the image of all that red tape stuck with Margot. So the church began talking, I'm told, about who it wanted to be as a congregation as part of the lead-up to this capital campaign. What was possible? 22 house meetings with small groups from the congregation and other opportunities to uncover, Margot would later write, quote, our gifts and strengths for the service of the church and the wider community. And the resonance of the red tape informed their work. The earthquake retrofits would happen, but added to them would be the commitment to build the ramp that we now have at the front of the church where it belonged. 
And while they were at it, by the way, they would take down a little eight-inch plaque that told people quietly who we were and put big letters up, the ones you see that have our name on the wall. And the chancel was extended and the ramp was built here so that our most sacred space allowed easy access for all people and the chapel was made accessible and more. The bill of all of this went from half a million dollars to 2.3 million. That's almost $4 million in today's dollars. Imagine being them. You inherit a church and it asks of you not just your annual pledge, not just your volunteer hours, not just that you walk and witness to City Hall and at rallies and teach Sunday school and cook and deliver meals to people who are sick, but that you carry the institution forward and in doing so in ways that keep with your values, you raise $4 million and you're out of the building the whole time the work is being done. The pews were all removed from this space. Just that, imagine the work that was required. All kinds of surprises would be discovered, <laughs> as you might imagine. One day, one day Margot said when she and the young adults were at church, they heard the organ playing. They came into the empty, bare sanctuary and Reiko was, in fact, rehearsing, and they all lay down on the stripped-down floor of the sanctuary and listened. As close to heaven as they could imagine in this complicated moment of sacrifice and endurance. The church would raise the 2 point. $3 million. In fact, when it was all totaled on the big Sunday when they pulled the effort to a, clo to a close, they had raised $1,579.40 more than the goal, including hundreds of dollars given by the children of the congregation. And we, we inherit a church more accessible. Those of us who came after that time one, by the way, we just made a little more accessible with our two new gender-neutral bathrooms, one fully accessible, single occupancy, and all the other renovated bathrooms that include accessibility, all of which you'll get to see when you're back here. And we all inherit a building that's safe, we hope, for the inevitable next big earthquake and the next, for we who live on the fault lines of the earth. And all of it placed in our soft hands when we first came and joined this place, a silent handoff in this relay race of life. I guess I wanted to tell this story because I think it's important to remember what those before us, some still with us, because this is a relatively recent story, all the hard things they've done They've weathered other pandemics, we know that, other uprisings that demanded greater justice. And at each juncture, hopefully, they've done all they could to honor the commitment that we also inherit of body and soul and pocketbook, not just to survive, but to thrive. What we have done this last year is amazing, I think. And it's a part of a history of amazing. 
which I sometimes forget, but it's important to remember. Because it's this gorgeous and gutsy thread that weaves through time and lives that I am blessed and emboldened to remember in the times that I am part of. With all the challenges they have brought and will bring. The storms. So as Keith and Gail said, we're all being asked this year for our financial commitment for the year that will start in July on the 1st of July and will include, we are expecting significant time with our rental income at a fraction of what it has been in the year before the pandemic. And needing to get through that without any PPP loans to carry us. And as a result, we're asking folks to maintain their existing pledges and also to consider a one-time additional gift to double if you can, but to give what you can. Because each generation has done just that. So Rohit and I have put in our pledge and we've added an extra gift for this year. And I know so many of you rushed to do the same, which is why we had the amazing announcement of the start of the effort. So thank you all. I know some of you haven't probably even opened the letter yet and that you'll do what you can too. And that's all we ask, just that you do what you can. Reading John Lewis's memoir, Walking with the Wind, I found myself grateful again for all the stories that he tells of people who were part of one chapter of this nation's history of social change and strengthening. And it all ties back in my mind to that story that he tells in the beginning that Meg read for us this morning. Of all of us holding hands like those children in the storms, walking with the wind like we do to hold the house strong as it lifts one corner and then another, and doing so until the danger passes. So thank you all for joining hands across so many barriers to doing that in this year and walking in the winds. I know we have more walking still to do with the pandemic and with the racial inequities that have been laid bare, stripped bare, requiring restitution. But I think we may be let out to play soon from at least the first of these challenges. House intact and better positioned, I think, when we're together in person, to boldly tackle the rest. Thank you all for what you've done this last year and let the annual giving campaign for next year officially commence. Thank you in advance for your generosity and commitment as we lean into the next year of life together and pass the gift along. Oh, oh.
out strong and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on for it won't be long till I'm gonna